Hi, I'm Jeff Watts, and I want to welcome you to the Renaissance Podcast. And I also want to thank you for partnering with us as we strive to reach the heart of our city with the truth and love of Jesus. There's always something new and exciting happening here at Ren, so please follow us on social media. You can find us by searching Renaissance Decatur. And you can also connect with us by visiting our website, rendecatur.org. Enjoy the podcast, and thank you so much for being a part of this community. Well, hello, everyone. How are you? Good? Yay. Welcome to Renaissance. My name is Jeff, and I'm one of the leaders. And um, as I was walking uh, to the stage this morning before a nine o'clock service, a friend of mine stopped me and asked, um, hey, Jeff, what are we going to talk about today? Or what are you going to talk about? Um, And I just quickly... Um, said the answer that you give in church when somebody asks a question, the answer is Jesus, right? So I said, we're going to talk about Jesus, ha-ha, and I sort of dismissed it. Um, and, then, and then I looked, her, looked at her, and I said, no, actually, what I, what I think God wants to do, I mean, we're going to talk about Jesus, and that's an important thing, but I think what God wants to do is I think he wants to actually take some things that are attached to our lives that are hindering our walk with him, that have somehow uh, worked their way to be a surrogate for him, that somehow slow us down in our Christian walk, that, that somehow our faith is attached to some of those things more so than it is in Jesus. And I said, I, I believe this because while I was praying for us this morning, um, and don't be weirded out by this, but when I pray, oftentimes I see images when I'm praying. I just, in my brain's eye, I just see pictures of stuff. And as I was praying for all of us this morning, I saw a road that all of us are walking on. And I just stop here and to tell you, I'm thankful that I walk the road of Christian life with you. I mean that, seriously. You, you, many of you enrich my life, and, and I hope I do the same for you. But I saw, I saw all of us walking down this road that, again, I would call the Christian life, and, and littered into the sides of the street was all of this debris, this trash, if you will, that God has been removing from us as we continue to walk forward. Now, just real quick, how many of us would agree that there are things in your life that you would love to get rid of? Amen. That there are just things that, that you, you, you know probably break the heart of God, yet through Jesus Christ, he still loves you a lot, yes? But you just wish, I didn't have to carry this anymore. I wish I didn't have to worry about these things anymore. I wish I didn't have to, to um, fret over some of these things anymore. I wish I, wasn't, I didn't have this proclivity to go to that thing first when everything seems to fall apart in my life. And, and I'm, I'm saying this because I believe that's what God wants to do today. So yes, we're going to talk about Jesus. That's the answer to your question. <laughs> we're going to talk about Jesus, but more importantly, I think in so doing, God's going to free us from some things. So... That's where I hope to end. Anyways, um, we're going to be continuing our book study in 1 Corinthians. If you have a Bible with you, 1 Corinthians will be in chapter 1, spending our most, most of our time in verses 10 through 17. If you don't have a Bible with you, it's all good. You can do two things. You can follow along on the screens, or underneath the seat close to you, there's a hardback black Bible, and you can read along in that Bible. If you want to use that Bible, you can turn to page 952, and that'll take you right to 1 Corinthians. Uh, while you're finding your way there, let me give you a little backstory about the, the, the book that is 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians is, in fact, a letter written by a man, an apostle named Paul, to a church that is in a city called Corinth. A little backstory is this, is that Paul is an apostle, which just means he was a man sent by God to proclaim or to preach the gospel of Jesus. He's, a, he's an evangelist, if you will. 
And God called him and sent him to travel around the modern world at that time, just going into cities, gathering people, much like this setting here, and proclaiming or preaching Jesus to them. In one of his three missionary journeys, he landed in a city in Greece called Corinth, which is what this letter is, or who this letter is written to. In Corinth, he preaches Jesus. Some people receive Jesus. They become Christians. Everyone says, yay, right? That was, seemed kind of weird. <laughs> but anyways, <laughs> everyone gets excited. They be, and, a, and a church is, is born in the city of Corinth. Hear me, in a, in a city that did not have a church of Jesus before. So this is a brand new thing. So Paul stays there maybe a year, year and a half, and he's teaching the Christians there, the young Christians, the things about the gospel, the, the issues of God, the theological concepts of all of the stuff that we learn about in church. But again, he was called to be an apostle. So he must leave at some point and go to another city because God is desperate that other people in other parts of the world would know about Jesus as well. So Paul packs up his bags and moves to another part of the world. He finds himself in Ephesus, which is a city in the now modern-day Turkey, and he plants another church in that city. But while he's gone from Corinth, other leaders are sort of uh, helping establish and lead the church that he had started before. One of these leaders is a man named Apollos. Has anyone heard of Apollos before? Apollos is a Christian. He's a Jewish man first. He was born in Alexandria in Egypt, right? So the northern country in, in Africa with that wonderful brown skin that he had. In the wonderful city that, that was Alexandria, had some of the greatest libraries of the ancient world. This learned man, Apollos, comes in and takes over the leadership of the church. And over time, we learn that some of the people in the church in Corinth began to divide themselves into parties or factions or schisms, many of them saying something like, well, I follow Apollos, which basically means this. I prefer Apollos teaching to Paul's. Or some would say, no, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a follower of Paul, which just means to say I was an original member of the church. Thank you very much. I was here when nobody else was here, right? <laughs> we know people like that as well. And, and what we're learning is that they were breaking into separate little factions or parties in the church. In fact, this is not the only issue that the church in Corinth is having. Paul, in his letter to the, first, to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians, he addresses many things. There's issues of financial problems. People don't understand about giving or allowing the Lord to deal with their finances as well. We'll read all about that in chapter 16 when we get there. At chapter 15, there are theological concerns Paul has to address. Many of the people don't truly understand the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Some of them don't even believe it ever happened. And Paul's like, just a minute. <laughs> if Jesus Christ has not been raised from the dead, then you and I are still in our sins. And we should be pitied among all people on the earth. There are theological issues. There are financial issues. There are other issues like sexual immorality that we'll read about in chapters 6 and 7. There's an issue of incest that we read about in chapter 5. There are lawsuits amongst the Christians. And this is not to say that there are people in the city suing the Christians. This is to say Christians are suing each other. This is, seems to be the, the course that they would find remedy to their issues. Instead of working it out like brothers and sisters in Christ, they take it before the magistrate. Let him decide. We read about this in chapter 5, and in chapters 1 and 3, we read again about these factions, these schisms. They're, the church is a mess, can I be honest with you? But many of those things that the, the church in Corinth is struggling with, uh, I would have to argue I've, see, I've seen this church struggle with too. W would it shock you to know that there's issues of sexual immorality in this church? 
Everybody's not looking at me right now. <laughs> issues of adultery. I pray to God we don't have issues of incest, but there are all kinds of problems. People don't trust the Lord with their finances well. They have little compartments for God to live in their life, and finances just ain't one of them, right? All of those issues that the church in Corinth was struggling with are the same issues that you and I struggle with. So let me ask you a question. This is a little thought experiment. If you were the leader of said church in Corinth and you were catching word from some people that the church that you established a few years ago is just in a flat out mess, which of those issues that I just mentioned to you would you address first? Which, which of those would you tackle? Would you tackle the sexual immorality? Because that seems to be the hot topic today in the church. Would you tackle some of the other things? I'm going to tell you, Paul, in his great wisdom, does something unique, probably does something that you and I never would think of. What he was able to do when he was catching word of the brokenness of the church in Corinth is he saw all of those issues not as actual problems, but of symptoms of a problem. Much like a doctor, right? When you go to the doctor with a fever, he doesn't just prescribe Tylenol and say, you'll be fine. He knows the fever is actually a symptom of something else, possibly an infection, and he'll run tests. She'll run tests to find out what the actual issue is. Paul sees this. He says the sexual immorality is actually a symptom of something greater. The issue of finances, the relational issues that you're having with divorce and, and, and all of these things, that, those are greater symptoms of a greater problem. And Paul addresses them from the onset of his church with a solution. Would it shock you to know that the solution is Jesus? <laughs> Yay. So um, we're going to spend our time in verses 10 through 17, but let's go back and I'll start in verse one. And I just want to see how quickly Paul puts Jesus to the forefront, how quickly Jesus is, 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 comes off the, the pen of his, onto the paper, how quickly Jesus becomes the primary thing of which he wants to address the Corinthian church. So I'm going to read verses 1 through 10, and do me a solid. When, when I say the name Jesus or Christ Jesus or speak about Jesus, will you just count for me how many times he mentions it? So the first time I say Jesus, you would say one. The second time I say Christ Jesus, you would say yes. Okay, this is going to be a long day. All right, anyways. The words will be on the screen. You can follow along there. You guys count out loud, and I'll just blow through this. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus, and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all of those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours, grace to you and peace from our God and Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to you, my God, always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him, Thank you. We'll count that one. That's a hymn. That's about Jesus. Yes. In all speech and in all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Do you see how important Christ Jesus is to the issues in the church. Before he even gets into the symptoms of the, of the church, he says, oh, I, I can quickly see the problem is more that the placement of Jesus you have in everything. 
The issue of sexual immorality is because you've somehow replaced Jesus with something else. I'm not sure what that is. We'll get to that. But I can tell you that's the problem. Is Jesus isn't central. Jesus isn't primary. Jesus isn't paramount. So let me read the passage, verses 10 through 17. This is our study for tonight. Um, and then we'll pray, and we'll just ask God to do what only God can do, which is help us. Would you agree? Yes, amen. All right, so starting in verse 10. So I appeal to you, brothers, he says, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there would be no divisions among you, but rather that you would be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you my brothers. And what I mean is that each one of you says something like this. I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided, he asks. Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? Verse 14, I thank God that I baptized none of you except for Crispus and, and Gaius, so that none of you may say that you were baptized into my name. Parenthesis, I did baptize also the household of Stephanus, but beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone. And for Christ did not send me, he says, to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. He, he's, making, he's alluding to the fact that Apollos, for example, was a very eloquent man. The Bible talks about that. He's a very learned individual. And a lot of people were gathering around Apollos because of his great Hellenistic or Greek rhetoric. He could just command a crowd. He could stand before people, and people just loved to hear him talk. And Paul's like, dude, I, I'm not called to do that. I'm not called to do that. I just, I just preach Jesus, not with great words, not with great anything. I, and I, I do so so that the cross of Christ would not lose any of its power. That the, any, of the, any of the work that happens in the church is not because I'm amazing, say amen. It's because the cross of Christ is doing work here. I think that's the greater issue. That the cross of Christ has been pushed off the side stage, if you will, of our lives. That it's not the primary thing for us. That it wasn't the primary thing for them. I'm asking today as we teach about Jesus, as we learn about Jesus, as we maybe come to this place of surrender to Jesus again for the first time, that God would, would bring him back to the center of our lives and, and we would lose these things that are slowing us down, these things that are hindering our walk with him, these things that are causing our faith to struggle. And that's what we need. Yes, 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 yes. All right, so let's pray together. God, we thank you for everything that you do. Your son Jesus humbled himself, left heaven and comes to earth in the form of a baby, grows to be a man, gives his life as a sacrifice for all of us. God, we thank you for your son Jesus. Jesus, we thank you that you were willing to do that out of your great love that we talked about earlier, that you were desperate to overcome things like sin and death and separation, and you rescued all of the people back to yourself. Jesus, thank you for that. Jesus, thank you for sending us the Holy Spirit who would come and dwell us and be among us and empower us and challenge us. Holy Spirit, we pray that you be with us tonight, that you would speak to us in a way that only you can. Holy Spirit, I pray that you take the words that I've prepared and that you would, pay, uh, you would place power to them as they hear uh, the words spoken tonight, that you would put power to them as they plant into the hearts of the people that listen. God, I pray that my words are bankrupt to help anyone but for the Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you take them and cause change in our lives. God, we thank you for these things. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.
there's an appeal that Paul's making to his Christians, his fellow brothers and sisters in Christ in verse 10. He says, I appeal to you by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that you would agree and that there would be no divisions among you that I've already alluded to, that you would be united in the same mind and in the same judgment. Know this, that what, the, what Paul is speaking at is an issue that the church, I think, does have in the world today. What he's speaking about is this thing called unity in the church, that we must have unity in the church, particularly about the fundamentals of the faith. Something like this, Jesus is the Son of God, yes? That he came to die for our sins, yes? He was buried in a grave and raised on the third day by God, yes? And he's ascended to heaven where he sits at the right hand of the Father interceding for us even now, yes? And on and on of those things. We have salvation through the work that Christ has done. And what Paul is mentioning, there should be unity in those things. Know this though, he's not implying we should have uniformity. And some will go, ah, thank you, Jesus. Because <laughs> I don't want to look like y'all. I don't want... <laughs> you wish. No, I'm just kidding, Mark. I'm just kidding. No, we don't. God isn't asking for uniformity. And Paul, in fact, and, and I think it's a, uh, uh, chapter 12 or something of this same letter, he, he talks about that, that the, that the body of Christ is like a body. There's a foot, there's a hand, there's a, there's a head, there's a, everything. He's not looking for uniformity. He's just looking for unity in the things. He wants us to be unique in the, the way that he's created us, yes? But we have to be tied together in that. I think the church is missing that these days that we get caught up into all kinds of schism, divisions about all kinds of other things. And, and in the church of Corinth, he says, that, he says this. He says, I don't want any divisions among you. The Greek word that's used here for divisions is the same Greek word that's used in one of the gospels when Jesus is telling the story of a, taking um, a garment that has a hole in it and you take a piece of cloth and you patch that garment. He says, nobody would take an, uh, a piece of new cloth, a cloth that's not been um, pre-shrunk, if you will, and, and put it onto an old garment because then as soon as you wash that garment, that new, that new piece of cloth is gonna tear loose. That tearing issue, that's this word for divisions. What he's saying is there's a tear in the church in Corinth. And because there's a tear in the church in Corinth, it is not as effective for God's use as he wants it to be. He wants them to be united together. In the Gospel of Mark chapter 1, Jesus is walking along the seashore and he sees a couple brothers. He sees Simon and Andrew. They're fishermen and they're casting their nets into the, the sea, catching fish. It's what they do. They're fishermen. And Jesus comes alongside and says, hey, why don't you drop those nets and follow me? I'll make you fishers of men. And the Gospel of Mark tells us that they dropped their nets immediately and began to follow Jesus. Would you? I'll just leave that there for you. <laughs> they left everything to follow Jesus, to join the plan of Jesus. A little, a little bit later in that same gospel, he runs across two other brothers, brothers named John and James. John and James are also fishermen. And Mark records this unique detail that they're sitting on the seashore and they're actually mending their nets. They're taking these fishing nets that they use to catch fish. And some of them had holes. Some of them needed repaired and, and they were mending those nets. That Greek word that's translated mending in Mark's gospel is the same word that Paul uses when he says, I want you to be united. He says, I want you to be fixed, man. I want you to be brought together so that the church of Christ that is in Corinth can be used to capture men in the world. Can I tell you this? That is my desperate plea for us as a church. I said this no less than three times this morning. I, I was overcome with belief in this. You ever have just supernatural faith sometimes when you say that you believe things even though mentally you're not even sure if you do? But know this, I'm convinced that God wants to fix us. 
us. I know it to be true. And I know it because he wants to call people unto himself in Renaissance, right? And I'll even argue the whole church at large, but I know specifically Renaissance, but the one that I have purview over, I have oversight over, that God wants to mend. He wants to unite us together in these things. He wants us to be fixed so that when we cast our net to gather people unto um, Jesus, we won't lose some. There won't be some sitting on the outside going, well, I don't know about that church. Aren't they just a bunch of hypocrites? <laughs> what if God came along and fixed us so that no one said that about us? What if God came along and fixed us so that we don't have all of the issues, the laundry list of issues that Paul was addressing to the church in Corinth? What if God actually put Jesus center in our lives and began such a transformative um, change in our lives that people noticed it? Now, I'm just convinced it can happen. I'll say this, it won't happen overnight, but it can, happen, it can happen over time. And I'm just believing that it'll happen. He wants to fix us. He wants to um, mend us, if you will. He says, verse 11, it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you. Now, who is Chloe? I have no idea. They must know who Chloe is because he mentions her by name. Is she a member in the church of Corinth? Possibly, we don't know. But Paul's mentioning her for a couple of reasons. Number one, they would understand who she is. So, okay. Secondarily, he wants them to know Paul hasn't had some of his people, those people who follow Paul, come to him and complain about all of the other people who follow Apollos and Cephas and all the other stuff. He said, no, someone from outside the church has looked in and it's pretty gross. And I've heard this about you. And there's in fact quarreling among you. Quarreling. Quarreling, what does that mean exactly? Sounds like people are upset with one another, right? Sounds like people are complaining about the style of worship, the volume of worship, it's, it's too crowded, I gotta sit in overflow. <laughs> That's a thing in the morning services here. <laughs> the quarreling, can I tell you this, whenever the word quarreling is used in the New Testament, it's never once used in a positive way. In fact, at Paul's same words in Galatians chapter five, he talks about vices and sinful behavior from a fleshly person. He says, when you're led by the flesh, when you're led by your own desires and said by the spirit of God, you'll find things like divisions, quarreling, all of those things. What's happening in Corinth is they are not focusing on Jesus. They're not being led by the spirit of Jesus. And because of that, the symptom of quarreling is out there. That's the problem, he says. Jesus has to be the primary thing. Quarreling is never a good thing. What he says, verse 12, is that some of you say, I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. We've already talked about those two. I love the third name, Cephas. Cephas is just the Aramaic name for a man named Peter. Peter the apostle. He's down in Jerusalem. And then some other people say, well, I follow Christ. There's always that one guy in the room who thinks he's better than everyone else, right? <laughs> I just follow Christ, man. You guys, whatever. I'm just saying this right now. And him saying that, whoever said that, that's boasting and that's prideful and that's sinful. Uh, leave it out there. It's also a sin. But I love the fact that he mentions Peter. Here's what we know about Peter. Peter, we have no historical record that Peter ever left Jerusalem and made his way to Corinth. We have no record of Peter ever being in Corinth. And yet there are people in the church of Corinth who say something like, well, I follow Peter. Well, how is this happening? This is great, by the way. This is my favorite part of what I'm going to talk about. Peter was a man called by God, an apostle as well, to preach the gospel of Jesus to Jewish people, believers of God, but they didn't have the full understanding of the Messiah as Christ and all of those things. So he was bringing the message of Jesus to Jewish believers. Paul was called to bring the message of Jesus to Gentiles, non-Jewish people. So they're both doing the same type of work. They're preaching the gospel of Jesus, but they're doing it in radically different ways. We'll call this methodology, if you will. Methods, there's different ways to do church, right? And some of these people in Corinth are saying, well, I prefer how... 
Peter does church. I prefer the methods of Peter. It's very liturgical, maybe. They sing hymns in their church. They still have pews, right? They have the, the, all kinds of other things. So what they're arguing here is I like some methods of church better than other methods of church. Now, all of a sudden, this is starting to hit home a little bit, isn't it? Have you ever heard somebody complain about church because they don't like the style of music? Maybe that's a dead thing now, but when I was growing up in the church, that was a thing. They called them the worship wars, which I thought was unique because no one ever died over it, but it was a worship war nonetheless. There was a group of people who desired hymns and the old classic songs and some other people who said, I want new stuff. And there was quarreling amongst the church. Just methods. And yet people will place those things front and center in their lives argue about those things and in so doing Christ and the cross is moved to the side and all of these symptoms of brokenness begin to leak out in their lives this is the issue you prefer methods over Christ you prefer Apollos over Christ you prefer Paul over Christ all of these things are over Christ and these things are pointing to the reality that the the cross of Christ is not able to be used to affect change because you've supplanted it with something else. I wonder if that's what we've done. I've been um, a pastor of this church since its inception. I planted this church just a little over eight years ago. And in those eight years, not a, not a year has gone by that I have not heard criticism for some of the things that we do here. And just so you know, I'm okay with it. <laughs> in fact, I ran into a guy yesterday who heard that we don't believe in heaven or hell here. Did you know that? <laughs> <laughs> News to me. <laughs> I, I had no idea. So anyways, uh, one, one of the methods that, I was, that we were criticized over early on was this issue of um, an altar call. Does everyone here understand what an altar call is? If you don't, let me explain it. So there's this... Um, there's this way of doing church at the end of the, the, the service where the pastor or the preacher will, will say something like this. So if you want to accept Christ today, if you want to become a Christian today, if you want to have faith to believe the things that were taught today, then why don't you walk forward down this aisle here and come to the altars. These are the altars, by the way, so don't mess them up. I'm just saying. Come down to the altars here and you can give your life to Jesus. Now, don't hear me. Don't mishear me. I gave my life to Jesus in an altar call. My life was radically transformed in an altar call. I was in a church. I walked the aisle of shame and repentance down to the front, weeping and sorrowful. I gave my life to Jesus. I'm just saying, you don't have to do that to become a Christian. That's all I'm saying. In fact, I'll argue that sometimes that walk gives people a false assurance that they are a Christian because I did the thing. Oh, so your salvation's in what you've done. Ooh. It's not. It's in the work that Christ has done for us. So we, we don't do altar calls. It's not to say we never will. It's just we don't. I'll be, can I be honest with you? I have many reasons why. I'll tell you one. It's too freaking loud up here. Can you imagine trying to come down here and people are trying to give their life to Christ and you're yelling at them in their ear? I mean, there's all kinds of issues. Second, we don't pass an offering plate here. Some people think that's wrong. Okay, I don't... It doesn't matter to me. I'm just saying that some people argue over methodologies or methods. And, and when, you, so when you do that, you're just pushing Christ out of the mix. It's become something else altogether. 
I like morning church instead of night church. I like night church instead of morning church. It's all this garbage, and this quarreling leaks out, and it's just pointing to reality that, man, you're following something that's not Jesus. That's what it is. That's all it is. Paul, with the discernment from the Holy Spirit himself, he sees this. There's a problem here. There's a problem here. He says, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos or Cephas, and I follow Christ. And Paul follows this up with three questions. He asks three questions of the church in Corinth, and I'll ask you the same three questions. He says here in verse 13, is Christ divided? That the church in Corinth has somehow divided itself amongst other things, other people, other methods, other whatever. But he's saying, is Christ in fact divided? The answer, just so you know, is no. Christ is not divided. There is one Christ. His name is Jesus. Was Paul crucified for you? We talked about that earlier during our worship time together. No, nobody else was crucified for us. Paul, for sure, was not crucified for us. There is one Christ, his name is Jesus, and Jesus was crucified for us. Yes? And Paul adds this other little thing, this thing. Were you baptized in the name of Paul? What he's implying here is that there's a life available to believers but it only comes through Christ. So if, if baptism, just so you know, I, I think Paul is helping us see that, that baptism is an outward sign of an inward experience that people have. I think Paul's a, of the persuasion of which I am that, that baptism is not necessary for salvation. You don't have to agree with me or not. I mean, there's, there's people who believe that. I'm one of those people that you don't have to be baptized to be saved, right? And there's other people who say that, that maybe you do have to be baptized to be saved. And I think both of those things can be argued from scripture and that's fine. I think Paul's of the persuasion that it's not effectual for salvation. I'm the same way. Anyways, he's just saying this, that when we, we are baptized, we have this picture of um, someone going into the baptismal waters. They're buried in the water as if they're dead. And when you come up out of the water, it's as if you've been raised to new life. And that new life that's available to you as a believer in Christ is from Christ, not from the person who baptizes you, not from the church who baptizes you, not from anything else. The power to live the new life that you're resurrected into is in Christ only. So is Christ divided? No, there's one Christ. Was he sacrificed for you? Was he crucified for you? Yes, the answer is yes. And the new life that you're desperate to have and you're desperate to, to need for this world is in Christ only, he says. And he's pushing all of this other stuff away. It is Christ-centered. It is the cross of Christ center. It's the crucifixion of Jesus center. It's new life in Jesus center in everything. And out of those three questions comes a very difficult reality for us. When he asks, is Christ divided? It alludes to this reality that there's only one Christ Look at me, and it's not you. Some of us in the room are so type A, we think we can fix other people. We, we apply to ourselves the, sal, uh, the salvific, or the salvational work of Christ to ourselves, and we go around thinking, I'll save all of these people. Parents do this a lot. When we have kids, we're like, I'll save my kids. I'll train them the right way. I'll make sure they have good morals. I'll make sure they read their Bible every day. I'll make sure they go to, uh, to, to youth group. I'll make sure they do all of these things, and somehow we're gonna save our children. Can I tell you this? I have two teenagers. They're a crazy animal breed. I'm just saying, right? That's not what saves them. You know who saves them? Christ. You know who was crucified for them? 
Christ. You know where newness of life comes from? Christ. And, and we're desperate to do all of these things. Ladies and gentlemen, we can't do it for some people. And for us to try is actually just replacing Jesus with us, broken, sinful people. And we wonder why their lives don't change. Because you're trying to be Christ for them. The flip side of that is we oftentimes look to other people to be Christ for us. So there's people, the, some out there, the type A is trying to fix everybody, our spouses, our kids. And then there's other people who, who just look for help in everything but Jesus, it appears. When I was uh, 25 years old, uh, I wasn't a Christian. I became a Christian when I was 26. Um, and the reason I became a Christian, many of you know the story, is I, there was a really hot girl that I was like chasing after. Her name is Stacy. Hey. She's my wife now, so I can say that, right? I still think she's hot. Put that on the record. Let the record reflect. Jeff still thinks she's hot. <laughs> And I, I wanted to date her, and I said, hey, babe, I would like to date you. And she said, no. She said, she said, I won't date anyone that doesn't go to church. Now, many of you know the story. So I said, I'll give church a try. Why not? And so I, I joined her on Sundays for many, many months going to a church here in town. And in the middle of those church experiences, man, you ever have that experience where the guy on the stage is just talking directly to you? Like, like it's as if he knows everything about your life and he's like, man, how's he know all this stuff? So I had a couple months of that. And one time during worship, I'm sitting in the pew with my wife and we used to hold hands a lot. It was so gross. It was like, you know what I mean? It was like, we'd hold hands and, and we're preaching. Sometimes we'd stand up to worship and I'd raise my hand in worship, but I had my other hand holding onto hers, right? We're worshiping together because we're a couple. I want everybody to know, right? The hot girl's with me. I'm just saying. We're eventually engaged, making plans for our future nuptials, and we're worshiping with one hand up, one hand on hers. And with great discernment, like Paul exercised here, she took my hand one Sunday and just pushed it off of hers. And I did what most men do. And I, I said to her, have I done something wrong? What have I done? Have I offended you in some way? she began to understand that the relationship that I was having in the church and beginning to foster with Christ was somehow connected to her as well. And she said, no, 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 I actually can't do this with you. You have to do this on your own. It was hard for me. I mean, I had to go to church and, and kind of work out my faith by myself. And she would be alongside of me. In fact, that day I walked down to the altar. She told me days or weeks before, she's like, Jeff, if you ever walk down, I'll go with you. I don't want you to you know, have to do it alone, but I want you to know that's the thing you have to decide to do. We have to let people find their way in Christ. And we, those of us who are looking for depth in, in, in our faith and, and a deeper relationship with Jesus, we have to truly stop relying on other people to be Christ for us. When I was a young Christian, I used to call friends of mine who were smarter than me, who knew more things about the Bible all the time, all day, all night. I'm calling them, man, what does Paul mean in Galatians 3? What does this mean, blah, blah, blah. And at one point, my best friend said this to me, Jeff, stop calling me. Read your Bible. Jeff, start asking God these questions. Between services this morning, a, a young lady come up and asked me, she's like, how do you know if you've actually, if you're leaning on someone other than Christ? I mean, how do you know? These are difficult things to navigate, right, in life. And I said, well, th let me just ask the simple question and I'll ask it to you as well. When things go south in your life, when, when it hits the fan, so to speak, right? 
when it gets really difficult, who's the first person you think of for help? Is it that friend who just gets you, man, who just understands you and will help talk you off the ledge? Is it, is it someone else? Is it some other thing? Is it carbs? Is it alcohol? If it's something other than Christ, that's, that, that's the tell that you're using someone else to replace him. If Christ isn't the go-to when, when things are so challenging and so difficult, when they're sort of challenging and difficult, if Christ isn't the go-to, that's the tell. Is Christ divided? No, there's one Christ. Has anyone else been crucified for you? No, it is Christ alone. And there's only one way to have newness of life. That is in Christ. All of these symptoms of sinfulness and debauchery and all of this will, will dissipate if you put Christ center in your life. He closes talking about baptism saying that I didn't baptize a lot of people because I didn't want people to think that, they're, that I have some special power and whatever, you can read that on your own. Verse 17, and again, he says, Christ did not send me to baptize people, but to preach. This is, again, where I think we get the understanding that Paul believes, again, like I do, or I believe like Paul does, that, that salvation comes from preaching. Salvation comes from hearing the word of God. Salvation comes from that thing. And, and again, being baptized is faith's response to the salvation experience with the Holy Spirit. That's all I'm saying. So he says, I didn't come to baptize. I came to preach the gospel, to make converts, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. That's the goal, that Christ move to front and center of our life, that he be the primary thing, the paramount thing at all times. Um, I want to pray for us. The band's going to come back. We're going to go back into a time of worship. And I, I just wrote down a couple questions um, on a piece of paper here that I would want to put before you that maybe we can consider for the next few minutes here. In fact, I wrote um, prayer. I would want us to pray one of these two things here. And you have to decide which one you'll want to pray. God, I repent for trying to fix people. God, I, I repent for trying to be the Christ for other people. That if somehow, if I could just get them to understand, if I could just get them to change, if I could just get them to try this, if I could just get them to all of this. God, I, I repent from that. Repenting, church word, just so you know, it just means to return to where God is. It just means a 180. I'm going to leave that behind. And I'm going to go this way instead of that. So I repent from trying to fix others. I'm going to allow Christ to do that. And here's why, because he's better at it than you. He's better at it than you. The reason they're still broken is because you can't do the work that you want to see done in their lives. Christ only can do that. Got to repent from that. I want to get out of the way and let Christ fix people. The second one is this. God, I repent for leaning on other people or other methods to bring me life. That there are programs that I've attached myself to. There's um, confession. This is my confession. I confessed of this this morning. Um, I don't consider myself an intellectual. That seems braggardly, but I love to learn and read. And oftentimes I'm, I just tell myself, if I could just read enough books this year, I'll grow in faith. If I can just, uh, you know what I mean? I'd like, like, and all of my faith growth was, was hinging upon the works that I did. 
if I could just lean into these podcasts or lean into this book study or do, and all of that stuff. So I said, God, I repent from leaning on other people or other methods to bring me into new life. It is the work that Christ only can do. So as the band comes back, I just, I ask you to spend a few minutes considering those things. I prayed earlier that, um, and as I saw that picture of us walking down that road of Christian life, this is the stuff that we left behind. I didn't know it at first. Now I see, I know what it is now. All the stuff that was littering the sides of the road was this, were these false Christs, <laughs> these little bitty things that have propped up our, our lives up to this point. And Christ just says, Jeff, you don't need it anymore. Let it go and follow me. It's very much the call to Simon and Andrew. Just leave that thing, your identity and all of that, leave that behind, follow me and watch what happens. All right, let's pray. God, I thank you for what you do. I thank you for the eloquent words of Paul, even though he thinks he's not so eloquent. I thank you for his letter to Corinth that challenged them and their beliefs. And I pray, God, that it would challenge us and our beliefs. God, maybe we're people in this room who, who think we can fix others and for that we repent, God. God, help us to let Christ be Christ in the lives of other people. Or maybe we're people who just lean on others too much and we need to push them aside to let Christ really come and minister to us or help us in a way that would benefit us. God, I ask that you would Expose those things by the power of the Holy Spirit. That is what the role of the, one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to convince us of sinful behavior or broken behavior, which are those, which are those things we just talked about. The Holy Spirit, that you would show that to us. And then with the help of the Holy Spirit, we would leave those behind. So God, we repent of that. We ask that we'd have a greater understanding of the one Jesus who came to die for us to be raised from the dead and to give us newness of life. We want him to be everything for us. God, it, it seems so simple. And it is. It truly is simple. God, we lean upon Christ tonight. We lean upon Jesus and his work. God, I just pray uh, liberty, uh, freedom. I just pray for a, a loosening of some of those things that have attached themselves to our lives. Those things that were necessary, maybe at one point, are no longer necessary now that we have grown up, that we are maturing, and we don't need some of those things any longer. So in Jesus' name, I pray that there would be a, a step of greater faith, a step of greater maturity in this room tonight. No longer will we make excuses because we have everything that we need in Christ. In great um, grasps of faith, we reach towards Jesus tonight. Jesus, be the solution. Jesus, be the answer. Jesus, be the help. Jesus, it is about you tonight. Thank you. God, we love you. We thank you. Come minister to your people, Holy Spirit. Come minister to your people. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Together, we can reach the heart of Decatur. And if you'd like to be a part of that, please go to rendicatororg backslash give and make a commitment to be a part of showing the people of the city of Decatur the truth of Jesus and how much he loves him.